0: Now, and I love how you've highlighted the fact of, you know, we've highlighted dealing with pain, you know, that comes from distortion. Yes. Um, When I gave my life to Christ some 25 years ago, I personally didn't struggle with what I've heard a lot of people say they struggle with. When when I thought of God as Father, I didn't really look at my own dad as much. I was like, he's just a man. I'm like... I can't, he, he can't be like a barrier between me and God. Like I've got to understand God. That's just a metaphor. He's like my father, you know, and, or it's a good, it's, he's pulling me into that storyline, but this is all important to me because it feels like in our current day culture and we just literally in the news, whenever you're actually listening to this podcast, but in our current news, you know, we just came out of Afghanistan and did it in the most terrible way. And you know some of the weird leadership, the you know evil uh, moorings of our current leadership in our country. Um, not that any side has it nailed, but um, it feels like we could be moving into exile in a lot of ways. Like yeah. the the landscape of our world is changing so rapidly fast. It feels like it could be, and the and what I'm loving in this here is like, if that happens, I'm gonna go with you. Yeah, You know, the next Amen. picture of our lives is that God's going to go with us. And Amen. there's so many things in our current culture, because, you know, you've labored in church culture. I've labored in it, um, you know, a couple of decades. It's difficult work. I just yeah. wrote about that on Facebook today. It's difficult work. I'm like, don't pray for your leaders. Unite with them. Yeah. I don't need you to pray for me. I need you to come lift my hands and work with me and take, take on 10 tasks and you know, whatever, like, right. what do you need? What needs to be done? You know, let's uh, cause you know, so that, that, and that's one of the pain points I wanted to bring into this conversation. Um, and we can maybe touch on it later, but the concept of when you look at Christianity and you look at how we come out of a Jewish, you know, a Jewish Messiah, Jewish storyline, God sanctified Israel so that they could sanctify him. And this powerful story of holiness in God. And then he transfers that holiness into his people. And then we're supposed to be this light that shines in the midst of a dark world. <clears throat> You've got all these things going on. And it matters for me because I want, I want to, uh, you know, I want to live as a sanctified people. And I, yeah. I I I want to actually walk with God. And so understanding his wrath and, and bringing that into my my own heart and experience in this current day, the pain point of our church culture that when you take like uh the three streams of Orthodox Judaism is like what is it like Reform, um yeah, Orthodoxy. yeah, and then, and then Orthodox. And then there's another one, but and then you look at like what the gentiles have done with the all loving all peaceful all you unifying messiah and we've got like 45,000 maybe 50,000 by now cuz these are old stats 50,000 divisions i mean yeah we can't get along yeah. we can't even agree to disagree or agree. we can't we just can't do it it's like insane it's like and i feel that in me it's like I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I'm not like innocent in that area. I'm like, my pride has gotten in the way or my willingness to want to be right or, you know, pin it on theology. I mean, dude, it's wicked. And I don't know. I bring all this up because I think God's wrath actually is against that. Yeah. It's against yeah. that pride of being right. And it's something I'm personally probably guilty of. And I want, that's why I want this episode to be like something that we're not just talking, oh, that was a neat topic. Those guys, you know, they had a great conversation. No, I want to bring this right down into the nitty gritty and go, let's look at what God's wrath is, you know, and then where is it actually in our lives? What's in our lives right now where his wrath is like, I'm coming after that.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and maybe Brian, for the, the sake of, um language right because i think the bible does make a bit of a distinction between anger and wrath meaning yeah anger that builds until the, god makes a decision
0: and there's I, that I, long suffering his anger is laced yeah, with long suffering yeah, so
1: if it's a holy anger right he can he he this divine being as we see in jesus <laughs> right right can express anger even towards his people in a way that is redemptive and causes them to change. And that perhaps is the best discernment we have on whether we are are really weighing, is this God's anger or or is this an accusation from the enemy? Is it conviction? Whereas God says, I hate this thing. And here's why, it destroys you. It destroys everybody in your circle of influence. It destroys my witness in the world. Well, then his anger is an opportunity for us to, to draw near in repentance, turn from it, turn towards him. And so, yes, his holy anger is a part of our knowing God. It's important for us to recognize he's not characterized by being angry um, because right. his anger is not like ours. Our anger comes and goes. It's an emotion.
0: It is. <laughs> and it's
1: usually because we've been violated. Our our incredible sense of self, our self-centric yes. right. <laughs> orb, you know, our limited way of viewing things, somehow it's been yeah. transgressed by another, right? We're not getting what we want, says James, or somebody did something to us. And so we get provoked, mm-hmm. we get angry, and we act irrationally
0: we act like children, little babies.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, it's immaturity, yeah. no question. Yeah. No question, brother. If you're brothers, if you're out there and you're dealing with an anger problem, you need to hear in Jesus' name the call to grow up, because uncontrolled anger is a sign of immaturity, um, and you need to take a page out of your 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 father's playbook. My wife was reading me to, to me from Colossians today, NT Wright's translation, and he said. Um, be ready to handle anything. (laughs) It was kind of a great little phrase. (laughs) I I don't know what the verse was, but the way he translated it was, you know, kind of one of Paul's exhortations. He said, be ready to handle anything. Meaning, look at you forgive because you've been forgiven. You understand how grace operates. And if you have experienced God's displeasure and you've been reconciled to him, then how much more do we understand, hey, People don't think alike. They come from different places. We need, to, we need to understand them and even help them understand the anger points in their life that God might be putting a finger on. Um, you know, Brian, I might even say it like this. And, and again, I don't mind, guys. You can could, you could write, write us and challenge this. But as I see Jesus embody the Father, and I see him frustrated with the disciples, <laughs> and I, I see him, you know. Sometimes shut him down. Sometimes he's just like, "Oh, hey, Ve, what am I going to do with you guys?" <laughs> you're never, you're just little faith. She just don't get it. But he keeps, he keeps at it with them, right? Um, yeah. God knew what he was getting into when he inaugur- when he initiated a relationship with us. He's not surprised by anything. This is how we beat the enemy. When he yeah. says, oh, you wah, 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 you go, yeah, that's true. And it's even worse than you know. And my father's got it in hand. I don't think, you know, necessarily we do something wrong. God gets angry spontaneously. I think when he comes to us and says, let's go back to the David illustration. Hey, I saw that. I heard that. It's destructive. You need to turn from it. I think anger comes when we go. Mm, I don't really see it that way. They, they, <laughs> you know, they did it first, or I've seen someone else do it. Then I think you're starting to provoke him. And what he, what does he do? Biblically, withdraws his presence a bit. And that should be the point. We're going. Okay. 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 <laughs> you're right. I'm wrong. You know, um, that's a powerful father-son relationship to have, because then you go out and you act like a man. You're aware of the relationships around you, the pain of the people around you, why they do what they do. And wouldn't this be amazing, Pastor Brian? And I know you're raising this up in your congregation, but you had a congregation of men, women too, but we're speaking to men who were so mature, they could go to a brother, put their arm around him and say, you know, I love you, right? And I just heard what you said to your wife that's no way to talk to a lady. Amen. That's no way to talk to a Amen. daughter of the most high God. you you become over familiar. You're taking on un, uh, unacceptable liberties with a relationship. That's closest to you. You need to get that right, man. And you need to get it right now. You want, let's pray together.
0: Yeah. And I'm here for you. I, and I love you. And
1: could, could you imagine the, bo- the yeah. unity of the body of Christ that you're, you're, you're passionate for. And I would say we misread the New Testament. We don't realize how powerful unity is. Not unity at any cost, but unity around we are disciples of Jesus. He's the master. We're the servant. We're the slave. He's the king. We're the subject. He's the father. We're the child. Um, We're all unified around that. And so um, so much of what divides us is secondary to God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we make it the primary thing and we can't get past it. Yeah. <clears throat> I like the, the feeling of under you know, understanding the different pulling the language apart, anger and wrath. That's very helpful. Yeah, it is. Um, and I really, it's something I've had to grow in my own life. Cause you know, in church culture, there's these extremes, you know, and, and we have to be careful because on the one hand you can become extremely religious Yes. And, uh, you know, I found that religion is way more, the priorities in religion is more uh, perfection and no grace on yourself. And, uh, you, you know, actually the enemy will use religion to keep you in a cycle of shame and guilt. Yes, you know, whereas, uh, we're, I'm really a son of the living God. So I had to kind of break free from religion a long time ago and go, man, I, I really am terrible at this performance. I mean, I, I'm a go getter, right? Like I'm actually really good at performing and doing that, but I don't want to do that in my relationship with God. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be a slave to just perfection and just, you know, this raw disconnected, just, I can do this in my own strength. It might get my vein in my head to pop enough. I can pull myself out of any, You know, because I'll tell you, I'll be really vulnerable with you as an entrepreneur type, because that's what God told me in 2003 when I was in business on my way to being very successful in the business world. God said, because I've had a prayer time and I said, Lord, I feel like I'm using my gifts, but I don't I don't personally feel like this is divine. Hmm. And God told me very specifically, I've never forgotten it. And he said, well, I made I created you to be an entrepreneur for the church, not the marketplace. And so that got me back into church culture and, you know, I use that language very strategically and we don't really have time to go into why I do all that, but probably one of the most vulnerable things. Cause I, I planted a church. I'm, i have really know I've been hearing from God, right? I've been everybody's enemy and everybody's friend. I know the ups and downs and the pitfalls. I've, I've been called about everything you can be called. I mean, I've lost all my money. Um, hmm. I've gone, I went through four years of not even knowing how I'd pay a mortgage payment, you know, just Mm -hmm. the number one vulnerability I have in my own heart, even now in this hour. And it's, it's, I think it's a little bit of that tough guy in me still, you know, but I have this thing that goes off and it says, no one's coming to save you, man. You got to do, you got to, you know, you've got to be strong. I mean, and I do, I, I might be wrong, but I believe there's a truth in that though. There's still, you know, no one's going to come and save me in ways that, uh, you know, maybe I would paint the picture, but, um, but at the same time, that's a dangerous thought because it can separate me from trusting God. It can separate yeah. me from the vulnerability I need to have in him. And that you know, so I think bringing all of these little subject matters up uh, and, and using the backdrop of God's anger and God's wrath is yeah. very powerful because, uh, he is so kind to us and I've had to learn these things. And that's, that's the number one of the number one weak spots inside of me is like, no one's coming to save you, bro. You better pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be a a man and go at, you know, get moving. Cause I've had a lot of people get mad at me and leave. And, you know, you think, Oh, that could affect the church this way or that way. And it's hard work. You know, I, I'm trying to tell, I, I'm trying to express that more and more clearly to people. Like, I didn't sign up for this. God called me into it, right? Yeah. So it's like yeah. I didn't I didn't you know, my dad wasn't some prominent person in in uh the Pharisaical uh, world, <laughs> you know, and then he handed me his baton. No, I I'm just a little nobody from a no-name town and a no-name place that God said, "Hey, go do this." And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes God's people are really hard to deal with and so
1: Yes. And that's an important subject with when it comes to anger and wrath, right? Because judgment starts with the household of faith. I do want to not miss the opportunity to say, Brian, you don't need this from me because he's confirmed his word to you over and over again. But boy, I really affirm that word because I'm a church history buff and the best of the best of our tradition has been entrepreneurs. It really has been that are able to think outside of the ecclesiastical box And and get a hold of the text, let the text get hold of them, and live the parable of the talents, where it's the father's largesse, and we're just simply putting it to work for the kingdom without a care in the world. Why? (laughs) Remember, remember all this. Sorry, guys, for talking quick, but it stirs me. There was one of those stewards who buried it, right? Right. Gave into that fear and insecurity, which are part and parcel of being human. It's okay to be insecure. We just bring that to the one who is our foundation. It's okay to be afraid of what, uh, um, what life can do to you. We just bring that to the one who gives us shalom and peace. But that one steward buried it, and he had the audacity. And I give him credit for this of saying, I knew you were a hard man hmm. that you reaped where you didn't sow and i thought man i better at least be able to give the original amount back to him right. and you know the, the statement of the steward says or the the owner says okay that's who i am to you then i'm a <laughs> hard man that you that i reap where i do not sow and you should have known better it's over <laughs> the day if you were scared of me, you still should have put it to work. And the under fear. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of people yeah. who are laboring under fear psychologically that are doing good work for Jesus. And we would want, we would want to bring comfort to them because they're afflicted in a non biblical mm. way. But it's, it's that, it's that can do spirit. It's that, come on, let's do it. It's our generation. I think what's happening in the world today gives us an opportunity I always remember this story about um, Abraham Lincoln. He wrote in his journal in his Kentucky log cabin as a teenager. um, He was reflecting on the revolution and his heroes. And he repined that there was no more great work to be done. Wow. Right. Well, there was a heart that wanted to do great work and that was poised for the opportunity in the moment. I think our culture over the last 50 years has been so affluent. The church has been so one with the, um, the prevailing political culture that um, we we just think, value. Well, you, you know, we kind of spiritualize the work in the four walls and say there's nothing really great left to be done. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that's what you're calling men to. And I respect you and your leadership team so much for that. Um, there are great works to be done. The father has given us of his boon. And yeah. he says not only that, he says, I'll teach you how to use my resources for entrepreneurial exercises. It's we have a seat at his table. men. he's saying, what do you think? What do you think we can do? Right. How can we make yeah. a difference here? Um, this is, this is the opposite of the anger of God, (laughs) which is His good favor. And what do we do? We honor him by walking in that good favor. This is the side of the equation he wants us on. Um, you know, Brian, this is a, not me, it's a classic statement, but I think that it is so perfect for this two hands when it comes to thinking about God's holy anger and his holy wrath. Our job as servant leaders, and I mean, all of us, is to at the same time we afflict the comfortable, we need to comfort the afflicted. Yes. I Mm -hmm. love that sensitivity of yours, telling your own story so that people can relate. Um, Because the ones who are most scared of God are the ones that are trying the hardest. Yeah. And we need to come into their their circle of influence and say, hey, relax. He drank the cup of wrath and died on the cross.
0: Yes, he did.
1: We now need to move into resurrection life
0: yeah. and the
1: fullness of the spirit without ever forgetting the cost, right?
0: Amen. Yeah, that's but exactly for those, right.
1: But for those, and you were saying, you know, there are some in the, but for those in the church that are playing games with God, they need the affliction of a prophetic word um, that calls them back to their first love because um, the anger of God and the wrath of God are manifest against the church first and then the nations and then the nations. That's the biblical order. Um, Maybe this would help. I, I love the simple narrative model because the profound has made himself known in a way that a child can grasp it. And Brian, it's the, it's the problem solution model, right? God is good. And he creates his beings to be in fellowship with him and live a good life. We turn away from that temptation, things that maybe we've never had the privilege of knowing. Um, and we become part of the problem. We are part of the problem. The enemy, he's, he's, the, he's the problem maker. And we become yeah. a problem. We experience the effects of sin. Other people experience the effects of sin through us by what we say and we do. God comes into our life in Jesus and he says, I have a solution <laughs> and it's the cross. And we say, yes, Lord. And He and we become part of his solution, right? But yeah. this is the picture <clears throat> most people miss. Yes, we get problem. Yes, we get solution. Oops, got my hands. but then God does a remarkable thing and he's done it with every one of his disciples since the garden of Eden. He takes us as the solution and he puts us right back amidst the problem Hmm. because living with us and through us, he will draw other people to himself and reproduce the process in them. So this begs the question, first of all, those who are a problem, to the, to the church God's angry with that. but those in the church, what is to be done with the church if it becomes the problem? Yeah. there is no manifest solution on earth. You know in some of, let me let me give you a practical example. I still have mm-hmm. an 18 year old in the house out of four children and when we talk about some of these cultural issues, I simply say this, I stand with God. Because if I don't, then someone who's been tricked by the enemy's delusion in culture, yeah. and they experience the, the wasting powers of sin, and they say, what can I do? I have to be there to offer them God's way yeah. so that they can partake of the solution. If not, if the church becomes the problem, part of the problem, well then, that's a recipe for wrath, wouldn't you agree?
0: And I think we're kind of there in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know.
1: Certainly, when we consider institutionalized church, which yeah. is, um, uh, you know, that's a that's a man made convention. Church, of course, as you know, was Jesus's way of saying, "When kingdom people gather for the pur- purpose of worship and work, I am there with them." It's church,
0: yeah, and
1: His and at the same are- time,
0: Christ is still and I have to remind myself this, he's still patient with the church.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's
0: in its current state of, you know, and when I say that it we've reached that point, what I mean by that is, Correct. I mean that the standard of the gospel has been so watered down. Um, it's not presented, it's presented more as like a feel-good drug in a lot of circles, a lot of churches, a lot of, you know, we've got the largest churches we've ever had in our country history, and look at the condition not of the world, but look at the condition of the church. Yeah. The churches, we've got the largest churches we've ever had, and it's so diluted, and so there's just so many problems that you know we're we're building on a foundation of the fear of man, and God wants to shift us into building on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. And so, like, I thought of that earlier when you were saying, you know, people who really fear God are getting closer to him. And, you know, I learned this from you guys many years ago, that it's about revering God. You know, it's not afraid like a scary movie. It's I'm trying to see you and fathom your holiness. I'm trying to get in the Revelation 4 picture of your throne and the beauty of who you are and fascinated with you. And in that process of my life here on earth. Um, In this desolate place, it feels like so many times, I'm uh, learning to revere you and walk in new ways and learn. So like you were saying earlier, the guy that struggles with anger, the thing that came to my mind was really just a dose of sobriety, just being sober minded in Christ, just stopping ourselves and being sober minded. You can overcome anger today. I mean, it, it doesn't take a month or two. I mean, yeah, you have to work on it, but it's it's. It's because what you said we get disconnected. Yes. You know, I mean, I'm way more of a short fused guy than you are. I can guarantee you that.
1: <laughs> I'm older than you, brother. I've got a little more season. Yeah, but
0: I, I tell people I'm like in ten years my fuse grew from like a, you know a quarter inch to a half inch. That's, That's gross.
1: That's progress. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> you know, but in, in funny Brian though, and knowing you, you get mad at the things that make God mad. And that's that righteous indignation. I'm not saying always. I'm not saying you're perfect.
0: I agree. I agree with you.
1: (laughs) You know, because and and brothers, this is one thing we want to make clear. Right. We're not condemning anybody. This is part of the righteous indignation process. Right. Because when if the solution becomes the problem, that's that's our problem. And the here's something important to realize about prophets because they're kind of the harbingers of anger and wrath. That's where we get them. All the old Testament prophets, you know, it seems like God was mad from the very beginning and that's not true. Again, we're collapsing time, 1500 years. We're getting to the end of a cycle where God has been forbearing and, and, and um, long suffering the entire time. Right. That's an important important point when we're reading, we're connecting the testaments, but even a prophet, is not standing outside pointing a bony, bony finger at, at the group. He is within the group yeah. saying, we get, we've we got to get it together. Here's where we're drifting. Here's where we've strayed. Here's where the presence of God is removing itself mm. from us in order to provoke us back to that unity of seeking the Lord And one thing, Brian, when you talk, we talk about that, my friend, well, I have a friend who calls it Church Inc. Right, yeah. Um, institutionalized church in America that is pretty much succumbed to culture. You and I look and we see a lot of great people in the pews there that are consumers, have have been turned into consumers. And it goes all the way back to our original story. We were biblically trained and still skimming the surface. We weren't owning the text, the text wasn't owning us. We didn't see the narrative as it was so clearly portrayed. We didn't understand that the new covenant in Hebrews 8 and in Jeremiah 33 was God wanting to know us and that that call was personal. We didn't see that when we enter in the narrow gate of Jesus's death, we're now disciples on the pages of the gospels and we're following him in our life just like they did in theirs. None of these pictures, all the doors of these pictures were closed to us. Now, watch this. And I believe the mischaracterization of God as angry is the culprit. Because Jesus, effectively, the way the gospel is preached, and I don't see how this is good news, is that Jesus came to save us from God.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: And there is no discipleship in that. No we are on our own.
0: Now you're a different, you're not even in the narrative anymore.
1: No. (laughs) And you're missing the best parts of the good news. For this reason, the son of man appeared to destroy the works of the enemy.
0: Yeah. And you just think about, you know, we, we, we labeled it the prodigal son, but the story is about the father, right? Right. His passion to meet you at the gate. So you don't have to walk in shame his passion to bring you a ring and a robe and, his passion to, you know, when you had to run in a cloak, he he had to lift his legs and, you know, expose himself and run, you know, and that's the story of our father watching for us to come home, you know, giving us our inheritance, even our stubbornness. And, you know, when, when we come to our senses, he's there. Yes. Even when we offended him at the highest level and spit in his face and took everything, he's still there. I mean, that's the beauty of like this broken soul thing that we have. It's a hundred percent healed in Christ, but yet we're, Working it out like a little child, you know. Like we're and we need each other. That's why Grace Ops champions this band of brothers concept. Like we're we're not a band of brothers to to judge one another, uh, to tear one another down, but we are here to uh, gauge the fruit and and. and-